Welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 349. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today I'm super excited to share an awesome conversation. I say this every time, don't I? But it's true. I'm excited to share a really interesting conversation I just had with a Bossed Up friend of the show, past guest Tanya Hester, who you might recall joined me on an episode all about a feminist take on fire when her last book, Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way, came out a few years ago now. Uh, And now she's got a new book on the way that I was really intrigued to learn more about. It's called Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change. So if you're the kind of person who's been looking out your window lately or opening any newspaper or watching any news program and just wants to crawl under a rock and hide from the overwhelming realities of climate change, systemic injustice, inequality, uh, this global pandemic that we are not out of yet, any of the above. If you're frustrated, if you're dismayed, if you're easily, and, and frankly, I myself fall into this category, disparaged and wondering what on earth we can do, uh, Tanya's got a new book out that's coming this November that's going to help us really use our power more wisely. So to give you a little background, Tanya Hester is the author of Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way, which MarketWatch called the best step-by-step guide to retiring early, as well as the forthcoming Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change, coming out November 16, but available for pre-order now. Tanya retired from her career in political consulting and journalism at 38 years old and is known for pushing the FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early Movement, to become more inclusive and socially and environmentally responsible, earning her the title of, quote, matriarch of the women's FIRE movement, end quote, from none other than the New York Times. In her past life, she worked on every aspect of political movement building and social change campaigns, which taught her how change really happens. She's also a Market Watch columnist and creator of the Our Next Life Early Retirement blog. Tanya lives with her husband, Mark, and two tiny rescue dogs in North Lake Tahoe, California. Tanya, welcome back to the Boston Podcast. Thanks for having me back. It's so great to be here. I know. I'm excited to chat with you. We talked last on an episode all about a feminist take on fire financial independence and early retirement or retiring early. That's the acronym, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And has anyone ever told you that you're doing retirement very poorly because you're going (laughs) to... I hear this all the time because I think there are folks who have this idea that I'm sitting Mm -hmm. at my desk working really hard every day when that's definitely (laughs) not true. I, I think that's the Instagram versus reality reality, right? I'm like, she's out with what? A new book that's thicker and more well-researched than ever? I, I saw your Instagram weighing your two books now, and I'm like, Tanya, 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 doesn't anyone know how to retire and just stop working? But that was never your intention, right? No, it never was. I mean, it's been two and a half years since the last one came out, so... yeah. It's not like I'm cranking one out every six months or something. I try to post all the pictures of my garden to show that's where I'm spending my time, but you know. Good. 
I, I think I saw a, a, a rainbow of tomatoes on your Insta feed recently. So I can confirm, folks, Tanya's not just writing books. <laughs> she is practicing early retirement. Uh, well, congrats overall for all of the cool things that you're up to. And I think financial independence we've always talked about as being about choice. Work optional, right, is the name of your first book. And I think you're embodying mm-hmm. that philosophy. So kudos. Thank you. Uh, and kudos on this new book. I'm really excited to talk with you all about it um, because I'm curious what wallet activism is all about. The subtitle is how to use every dollar you spend, earn, and save as a force for change. What inspired this book? It, what inspired me to write wallet activism is really, I think it sounds a bit cliche, but I wanted to read this book. I wanted Mm. this book to exist. And I looked through all the books out there and didn't feel like there was anything that spoke to what I really wanted to know, which was, it was a number of questions. And and Mm. I've, I've tried really hard to answer them in this book. It was, how do you do things that are good for the environment without harming people? Because Mm. there's so often this tendency in the environmental movement to just focus on something that's good for the ocean and not take into account um, our fellow humans. Uh, And that felt like a conflict that didn't need to exist. We could find a way to take care of our fellow humans and the planet and the climate at the same time. Um, It was also the question of how can I use my money or how can I make financial choices that are actually impactful and aren't just here to make me feel good? Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've probably all had that feeling of, okay, I've been recycling my bottles and cans for (laughs) decades now and everything's still getting worse. Like, why have I even bothered? And I wanted to understand, okay, where do I actually have power to do something as an individual versus holding corporations accountable or pushing for policy action? And I think so often that question is posed as one of, or, you know, is it corporations and policy or individual choices. And I think that's Mm. the wrong frame. The truth is it's and. And I wanted to dig into that and say, okay, where are the right places when it can only happen through policy change? Where are the places where I as an individual or a few of us as individuals joining together as a collective can really make a difference and do things that are truly impactful, not just nice little epithets to print on Mm. a t-shirt or a tote bag. Totally. And and using our consumer power and buyer power to make those intended impacts is what I'm hearing. For sure. But I, I really wanted to go beyond that. So my mm-hmm. big thing with this is wallet activism is not about shopping. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> if we think of this as buying the most sustainable t-shirt or the most sustainable whatever, fill in the blank, yeah. uh, we're we're missing the point. A lot of the time, it's about not buying that thing. Um, But it's also about thinking about our financial power more broadly. So it's thinking about how do you use your power at work to be Mm. a force for good environmentally and for other people trying to address inequality in all its forms? Mm. How do you use your financial power for good when you're thinking about where to live? Um, And all that goes with that, whether it's about transit-oriented development or it's about not wanting to add to gentrification and displacement of disadvantaged groups of people. it's thinking about how you manage your money, um, where right. you invest it, and more importantly, I think, how you bank. Uh, we like mm. to talk a lot in personal finance about responsible investing, which unfortunately is still a bit tough to do. There aren't great options for it, mm. but invest, but 
responsible banking is actually more important. You can draw a more direct line between the money in your savings account and funding things like new fossil fuel projects mm. than you can between the money you put in your 401k or your IRA, IRA <laughs> or you know what, however you're saving yeah. uh, for retirement between that and some bad guy project. Uh, so it's really trying to take a much more holistic view of all of the ways that we hold financial power and how we use it for good. I feel like there's a f- I, I'm experiencing this like overwhelmed <laughs> emotional response just hearing you, which is like for some reason conjuring up that meme of that cartoon character sipping cu- a cup of coffee in a flaming <laughs> room right now. This is fine. Which, <laughs> except for me, I'm like, okay, you're listening to this podcast. Maybe you've got a face mask on and the world around us is burning quite literally sometimes like where you're at right now in Lake Tahoe. And we need to think about what all of these things and how complicit we are in like the demise and downfall of our planet. It's overwhelming sometimes. And as a millennial, I feel paralyzed at times in a way that I think Gen Z is starting to get totally fed up with us for um, rightfully so. And so I'd be curious to hear how, how you've made this approachable in your book, because sometimes the problems that we're facing, you talk about in the introduction, you know, climate, the climate crisis we're in, but also the inequality crisis that Mm -hmm. we are in nationally and globally. It just feels sometimes like it's too big to think about doing much more than recycling. So how do you approach this in a way that's like, how do we actually take our power back and use it thoughtfully? I think you are absolutely not alone in feeling paralyzed. I think every single one of us can relate to that on some level. If you care about other people, if you care about the planet, it it gets really easy to feel discouraged. You know, a few weeks ago, the new Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report from the UN came out and it was just like more bad You're news. too late. Yeah. You're, we're all too late. We're f- That was basically the headline, right? Like we're about to be out of time to make any significant changes. It was that we can't, we can't prevent the planet from getting past the Paris Agreement mm. uh, threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius average temperature rise. Um, but we can still do a lot. And that's, in fact, how I end the book is saying, even if we blow past 1.5 degrees Celsius, the difference in outcomes for humans and the planet and other and animals, you know, the other Mm. living creatures with whom we share the planet, the difference in half a degree in um, in human terms is massive. It's Mm. hundreds of millions of people who won't lose their livelihood, who won't be forced out of their homes by flooding and fire. Um, And every half degree is similar. You know, it has a big cost. And so I think first it's remembering that all progress is worth fighting for. Can we have the perfect solution to any of this? No, we can't. Um, But every bit of progress is absolutely worth fighting for. I think that's that's the first thing. The second, so here's here's where I'll I'll start getting into the real spirit of the book, which is the idea that you are constantly being lied to. 
You are being lied to by every corporation on the planet who's trying to sell you something. You're being lied to by marketers. You're being lied to by a lot of people who mean well, who are on the same side, who are fighting for the planet or fighting for our fellow humans and trying to reduce inequality. Um, And a lot of that is from good intentions and a lot of it is from bad intentions. But I think that a lot of folks want you to feel overwhelmed. They want you to feel that the scale of the problem is too big for you to solve so that you don't recognize the power that you have to change things. It's the same as maybe we talked about this last time that in financial services, a lot of financial planners will try to make financial planning and investing sound really complicated so that you feel like you have to hire them and pay them to manage your money instead of realizing that you can easily do it yourself with just a little bit of education. Uh, And it's, I think, the same with the problems that we face. There are many people who don't want you to have that power. Um, But I also think that a lot of that feeling of overwhelm comes from knowing, okay, we did this. We've been recycling. I've been bringing my reusable bags to the grocery store. I've been trying to take mass transit more instead of driving or, you know, whatever kind of applies to your life. Uh, We're all different on this stuff. Um, And I haven't seen any positive change. And in fact, things are only getting worse. I think it's because we've been getting the easy digestible answers and solutions instead of the real ones. And so there's a lot in this book that's going to be a bit depressing. You know, I think that's because reality is depressing right now. Um, But I believe that you can handle it. I think that people can handle hard information. And everyone has been talking to us for as long as we've been alive, uh, like children, saying, hello, child, you can only understand this in the simplest terms possible. And so here's an easy thing that any five-year-old can do. Like, no, we are adults. We can handle complex information. We can handle nuance. And I think that when people have that, um, it it's much more empowering. You can really get your head around the problem and understand not just how big the problem is, but what are the ways in? What are the ways that you can create change? So one of the things that I did to try to make this really accessible, because I know that I'm not going to be able to give anybody a list of here are good things to do and bad things to do. And honestly, a big part of how you're going to use your financial power depends on your values. If you are someone who's focused 100% on reducing the racial wealth gap, you're going to use your money, especially when you do things like shopping, uh, in a very different way than someone who is wholly focused on climate change. And I help you figure that out. So we do an exercise early in the book that's about mapping out your values and thinking about how they can guide your financial choices. So that's the first thing. And then as we go through the book some more, I set out a series of questions that you can ask yourself to assess any given decision. So for example, one of them is, what am I funding? And it's thinking through, okay, if I buy this thing, Mm. where is that money going What is it creating more demand for? Whose pockets is it lining? And once you start thinking about your financial decisions that way, it becomes a lot easier than to say, okay, this is something that I'm good with. This is something I'm not good with. And I think it's important to keep in mind scale also because, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, um, I think most folks know that Chick-fil-A, the uh, fast food chicken place that- Call them out. Yeah. Those delicious fries. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, they have supported a lot of bad stuff. Um, They have been really vocally anti-LGBTQ. They've been, um, you know, they've, they've been accused of different hiring practices that are inequitable. 
that said, if you go there and you get a chicken sandwich for $3, that's $3. Um, that is not nearly as bad as spending um, $5,000 on Amazon uh, in, mm. in the sense of the damage that it does. So mm-hmm. I really try to give people both the tools to make better decisions and the leeway to be imperfect humans because we can't all make perfect choices all the time. That's impossible. Right. Um, so it's keeping things in scale and and really focus on focusing on your biggest decisions first so that um, it's not something where you're, you're stressing about every penny or every dollar. You're looking at the big stuff because that's really where the big impact is. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Although there is canes, so I see no excuse <laughs> um, <laughs> for us to go. But yeah, sure. I, I, I see your point. Like really making sure that the, you know, we're thinking about the $5,000 decisions, not just the $5 decisions. Mm-hmm. Um I want to ask you, actually, you know, you brought something up that reminded me of a recent talk one of our Speak Up alums gave. So we have a a assertive communications accelerator here at Bostop that culminates with this finale week and everyone gives a five minute talk. And one of our participants in Guzzi gave us this really compelling talk literally just two days ago about vetting your suppliers And even at work, you know, if you're not a small business owner or an entrepreneur, you know, thinking about who's buying the post-its for our company and where are they coming from. And I shared a story with Nkazi that was like, yeah, I realized as a small business owner who ships planners every year, because we have our fan favorite life tracker planners, uh, that we were ordering our cardboard mailers from a little company, family-owned, American-born-and-bred, Uline. And someone brought to my attention, I think it was a fellow entrepreneur, Meg, who said, you know, Uline is like one of the largest donors. The founders are one of the largest donors to the Trump uh, campaign. And I did a little research and was like, oh, my God, are you not completely correct about that? And so, you know, Taking into consideration those $5,000 decisions, whether it's your business or the business that you work for, and just doing a little bit of vetting can go a supremely long way in making sure that this super feminist, progressive little business that I'm running here isn't surreptitiously funding a company that's funding the Trump campaign. That was so jarring to me, but such a concrete example of putting your money where your mouth is just by doing a little bit of due diligence. That is such a great example of wallet activism. So definitely kudos for that. I, I love that example for so many reasons. Um, first, it's not one that you're having to make every day. And I think that examples like that where it's, okay, who is a major supplier that I'm going to use a whole bunch? Um, you can do your di- due diligence one time and then that's set. Then you find somebody who you feel good about. It's also an example of where you had multiple dimensions you could have looked at. Maybe you care most about um, maintaining tree cover on the planet. And your big concern was, I want to use the cardboard that has the highest percent of recycled content, or uh, that's FSC certified, which is a a really good, strong certification. Um, I was really adamant with this book, for example, that the paper in it had to be FSC certified, and my publisher was awesome about it, and it will be. It's going to be printed in the U.S., all good stuff. Um, so you could have looked at that and prioritized that. You you instead focused on political values, which is another great way to go. And I suspect, honestly, that when you find a supplier for cardboard that is 
you know, right. supporting Not- progressive causes, <laughs> yeah. they're probably also right. doing the recycle paper, the FSC. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great example. That's so funny. Uh, I think there is an inherent optimism to your book, too, that I want to call out, which is, you know, yes, we're adults. Yes, we can handle nuance. Yes, we can face the tough and, and frankly, depressing realities that we're up against. But you also write about developing an activist mindset, a chapter that starts with this great Angela Davis quote. You have to act as if it were possible to radically transform the world and you have to do it all the time. Talk to me about that optimism, about that mindset, about the power of possibility behind your book. Yeah, I I think I would not have written this book if I didn't believe that we could make real progress. Uh, As you said, I'm I'm retired. (laughs) I'm not doing this for financial gain. I'm not trying to kickstart my career and be an influencer on wallet activism. I wrote this book because I really care. I think a lot of us really care. And we want to be able to do concrete things. It's like, you know, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? It's like, what will you do with your precious money uh, that expresses your values in the world? Um, but absolutely, I there is a lot of stuff in here that is complicated and that can feel negative, uh, but it comes from a place of really believing that we can make a difference and that especially the more of us who do this, the more we can spread the word and engage others and encourage them to join us in a non-judgmental way, you know, not saying, hey, if you do this, you're bad. Uh, you know, like the the thing that comes to mind so much lately is this the plastic straw bans that are being pushed Um, by a lot of environmentalists without regard for the fact that a lot of people in the disability community, of which I'm a part, uh, really need those straws. And they're sort of this like, well, why do you need it? And forcing disabled people to have to justify their needs, which is not what we should be doing as a society, when the bulk of ocean plastic is from plastic fishing nets. Well, why aren't we going after the fishing nets? That's the big impact, uh, where straws are this teeny, teeny, teeny percentage. Um, And so... It's, it's trying to get to the places where we're really making a difference because I absolutely believe we can. I think we just need to be a bit smarter about it. And I absolutely believe that's possible. Right. You talk about aiming for real change, actual progress, not easy wins. And the question in, in this chapter, can everyone do this, is mm-hmm. an interesting one. So talk about power and privilege and how this looks different for different folks. Like... Where where do you come down on that question? Can everyone be a wallet activist? I would not have written this book if I didn't believe that everyone could do this. This is not just for people who can afford Patagonia, for people who have time for their grocery shopping to take three hours because they're doing zero waste and scooping everything into jars one at a time and weighing them out. I have tried that. It is, oh, <laughs> not everyone can do that. Um, But this wallet activism, absolutely everyone can. I talk about if you can only afford to shop at Walmart or Amazon, how can you do this? Uh, This isn't a book that says if you shop at those places, you're bad. Um, And the can everyone do this question, it's not meant to slow anyone down. If you have tons of financial resources and you're able to go above and beyond, fantastic. But in terms of doing the basic principles, I wanted them to be inclusive to everyone. And what I really also wanted to do is make sure that no one was going to go broke doing this. And so I really focus on highlighting the places where doing the the thing that's best for the planet and other people, practicing wallet activism, is also the best thing for your own finances. Because I think that's really essential. And honestly, 
the simplest way to say that in a lot of this stuff is just don't buy that thing. Uh, we, <laughs> right. we have a society that pushes us, that tells, that calls us consumers instead of letting us be citizens and humans and defining us by our relationships or our contributions. It's all how do we spend? What do we spend it on? Um, and that's, that's, first of all, just false. That's not who we are. But we have to pry ourselves out of that because that's what we've been indoctrinated into, that we are consumers. And if you can think of yourself as something else, not a consumer, um, that's both good for wallet activism and it's good for your own wallet. I mean, that was my first question. It's like, how can we be consumer advocates, right? And you're saying, try being a human advocate, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's so interesting. I think those no spend challenges that I've seen on social media are worth another look. Uh, or, Or, you know, I think they're so related to things like reducing your carbon footprint or reducing your your trash uh footprint or whatever it might be but not spending as activism that's a Mm -hmm. really great question so I want to ask you a big question that's like a deeply I think the overarching philosophical one here um I just I did did an interview right before uh, we chatted that's coming out a week after yours with someone who's a multi-generational workplace scholar all about Gen Z versus millennials. And I can't help but think my little sister, who's like a little budding Gen Z or a recent grad, would say, why are we even talking about system change within capitalism? You know, isn't this more about if we really care about the environment and people should we just throw away the the concept of this late stage dystopian capitalism that we find ourselves in and go for this full on socialist revolution where where do you find your philosophy coming together as an early retiree right as a financial uh expert in your own right around reconciling you know leveraging capital power and influence with system change, when a lot of folks out there would say, burn it to the ground. You know, the only real system change is outside of the confines of capitalism altogether. I think it's a really good question. And I talk early on in the book about capitalism and the flaws in it and the arguments for doing away with it, because I think it's really important to give that idea space and to acknowledge that it's fine to think that. You know, it's good to think that. We should be questioning the bedrock on which we rest our society and saying, is this the right way to be thinking and teaching people and operating? That said, I really wanted the book to be actionable. And so this is a book for the society we have, not the society we want. And I'm really clear about that. You know, in a perfect world, we would not need this book. If we had that socialist utopia, we wouldn't need a word of this. Um, All of what's written in the book in Wallet Activism is here because we live in such a deeply flawed, imperfect world um, that's uh, unequitable, that's, um, you know, completely disregarding our natural resources and how quickly we're burning through them and what we're doing to the climate and what that's doing to people. Um, It's this huge cycle that, you know, capitalism is almost like divorced from it. It seems super unaware of all of the ramifications and downstream impacts of capitalism. But uh, we can say all that, uh, but that doesn't help anyone act. You know, if I say, okay, here's the society we should have, then you get to the end of it and go, okay, so what do I do? (laughs) Yeah. 
And I didn't want to write that kind of book. I think other people should. I think we need to be having that conversation. Um, and I, I touched on it, but then said, okay, but given that we don't have that, what do we do? <laughs> Let's roll up our sleeves. Right. Yeah. I think I find myself making that case quite a bit in our world because, you know, as a company that helps women fight the patriarchy while also acknowledging we shouldn't have to do this. It's a tricky tightrope to tap dance on for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm glad we're willing to do it you know, with the criticism, um, that comes with it because that's part of it. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Speaking of practical, and I know we're almost out of time here. I could, oh my gosh, I could talk to you about this for forever, but one of the most practical, interesting sections of the book I really enjoyed was the, what makes a good guy <laughs> versus w bad guys who know they're bad guys versus bad guys who think they're good guys. So talk to me about what inspired that section of the book and, and what you're really getting at there. Yeah, it's funny because I don't think I need to tell anyone listening to this that Walmart is a bad guy. Uh, <laughs> right. That they have consistently underpaid people. They have the biggest workforce in the country that has employees on food stamps uh, because they pay them so little that they can't even afford to eat. Uh, you know, we could go on and on. They don't report the emissions from their container ships that cross the ocean, and they're the largest global shipper by far. You get the idea. Walmart's bad. Everyone knows that. That's not interesting to me. Um, what actually inspired this was for years we have been buying um, this laundry detergent in what looks like a cardboard bottle uh, from seventh generation. And finally one day I sort of took a look at it and I was like, you know, it doesn't actually make sense that this is cardboard because if there's a detergent in there, wouldn't it soak right through? And I started to open it up and I realized, sure enough, there is a plastic bag inside the cardboard carton. And I looked at the packaging and, you know, sort of in small print on the back, you could say, you could see that it said recyclable, um, although that's questionable. Most plastic that you throw in the recycle bin never gets recycled. But they were trying to make it look like this was cardboard, that you could conceivably throw it in the compost bin or that it would get recycled like paper, which is recycled at a much higher rate, isn't made of petroleum products, all that stuff. And I started looking more at examples like that, and I realized that for those of us who care and those of us who consider ourselves aware of the problems out there, some of the most problematic messaging we receive is from people who seem to be on the same side as us. And seventh generation, they do a lot that's much better than peer companies out there, but why don't they just do what Method does or what other companies do and just sell it in that flimsy little plastic bottle that barely stands up? You know, they could do that. That would use fewer resources overall. It would not have the paper part necessary at all. Um, and it would be the same product, but they put it in the cardboard so that you get the positive associations of using a cardboard container. and. There is a lot of that out there. You know, you can think, I'm sure we can all come up with tons of examples, but different stainless steel water bottles that have become trendy over time is one that I think about a lot. Or a lot of the shoe companies, for example, that exist now that are new and they talk about how carbon neutral they are um, without mentioning the fact that most carbon offsets are complete garbage, <laughs> right. are not actually doing what they say. Uh, and as right now with the Dixie fire burning in California, that's actually burned a huge number of tree planting operations uh, that have put a whole bunch of offsets that people have bought up in smoke, um, up into the atmosphere where they will warm it up. And so um, it was starting to understand that 
for people who want to make good choices, you're being lied to by companies who seem to be on your side, who seem to be doing good things. And so that's why I wanted to make clear that it's not just good guys and bad guys. There are bad guys who know they're bad guys. There are a few true good guys, not many. And there are a lot of bad guys who think they're good guys or who are really trying hard to convince you that they're good guys. Um, And I think we need to do a better job of starting to see through that and recognize what are these buzzwords that kind of signal to me that this is not what it says it is. And carbon offsets is a big one. Net zero, big giveaway. Um, Because if if we truly care about making real change, we've got to learn those things. Yeah, it's an important step in the process because it's like we know it's sexy to seem like a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like I think you have some facts in the early part of the book that really stood out to me. 71% of consumers would spend more on a small business if they knew it supported an important social or environmental cause. Businesses are paying attention to that, right? Of course they are. <laughs> and so if they can capture some of that 71%, they're going to do what they can to make it look uh, you know, look good. So I like this chapter because you really give us some practical ways to tell the difference between who's walking the walk and who's just talking the talk and certifications. Those like third party stamps of approval are an interesting, uh, element that you talk about, but my God, there is so much in this book. There's like (laughs) so much research. How did you do this in two and a half years? I don't even know. Uh, Um, it helped that I had nowhere to go in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. Oh, right. (laughs) I feel like if you're living through a dystopian uh, pandemic situation, this is a pretty cathartic and therapeutic way to harness your, you know, like dystopian fears or just like into something productive and actually uh, helpful. So kudos to you. Where can listeners pre-order the book, which is coming out this November 16? Yeah, you can pre-order it in any book place. I'm really encouraging people to pre-order from independent bookstores uh, rather than from the everything store. Um, but, you know, if if the everything store is your thing, I just encourage you to use the smile.amazon.com link so that a portion of it will go to charity. Uh, and you get to pick the charity. So mine goes to Planned Parenthood if I need to buy some paper towels or something, which we try not to, um, but every once in a while. Um, so bookshop.org is a great option if you just want a simple one-stop shop. Um, but you can also go to indiebound.com and that will link you to independent bookstores in your area who can pre-order it for you. Um, and if you're not a book buying type, you know, it will be an ebook, audiobook, or you can certainly request it from your local library. Those things help authors a lot too, so that libraries pre-order things. Um, so yeah, all the places. Awesome. I love it. Tanya, so happy for you. So happy for your next life that you're living right now. Uh, If you haven't already followed Tanya on Instagram at our underscore next life, I highly recommend doing so as well. I'll drop that link in today's show notes, but it's really cool to see you like see what you're doing with this new chapter. Uh, Since the last time we talked, I'm so I'm so pleased for you and I'm pleased for the world that we have people like you helping us. Oh, find thank the path you. forward. That's so, so kind. I, I think, honestly, I, th- I these books feel disconnected, but to me, they're just a natural continuum. It's sort of like, how do you get yourself to a place where you have financial security? And then once you have that security, or once you're solidly on your way there, how do you use that security for 
the benefit of others, or at least honestly, just to stop doing so much harm. I think that we have been accustomed to look the other way at the harm that we cause through just kind of our regular mindless purchases and decisions. Um, so it's it's all one. It's like get get your financial security there and then think about what you truly want to do with it, what's really in your soul. And so thank you. It's It's been great to ta- talk with you about it. Awesome, Tanya. Thank you. For those who missed our first conversation on a feminist take on fire, I'll also drop that link in today's show notes. Uh, It's definitely worth a listen. And I love the idea. I mean, it really is about lifting as you climb. Uh, The Mm -hmm. original motto of America's first black women's clubs, right? Like, get your own, get your own money, get your bag, do what you have to do to lift yourself up if you can. And then let's use it for good. I love that. Mm -hmm. Awesome, Tanya. We'll keep in touch. Stay safe. And uh, let's keep bossing. I love this. Thanks so much for having me. To learn more and get links to all of the great resources Tanya and I talked about today, head to bossedup.org slash episode 349. That's bossedup.org slash episode 349. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. This week, I'm giving a hearty shout out to Katie who's currently enrolled in our Level Up Leadership Accelerator and has really quickly started making some big boss moves at work. After attending the very first workshop in Level Up, which is all about cultivating leadership vision and practicing practical and tactical strategic planning skills, Katie realized that she could be making a bigger difference at work if she applied some of the curriculum to her current workplace in real time, which is really how the program is designed. So in that month, vision and and strategic planning month, Katie decided to call her colleagues together and really plan a half-day retreat for everyone involved in launching a big project for the fall. She used some of the different exercises and reflection questions and curriculum from the first month of Level Up to develop the retreat's agenda. And after running the retreat, Katie's project team came out of the experience with a much clearer plan and a, a, a more concrete and collective sense of direction. They're so much better equipped to launch their project this fall. And I'm so proud of how Katie totally bossed up in real time, started immediately applying what she was learning in our program to make positive changes at her workplace. I'm so proud of you, Katie. So excited to see what else you'll accomplish and apply throughout the six-month leadership accelerator that is Level Up. And just want to give you a hearty round of applause because I love we love to see it. This is what bossing up really means to me. So keep on, uh, keep on learning and growing together in our community. If you're interested in learning more about Level Up, or if you're interested in any of the programs and products that I mentioned in my conversation with Tanya today, like our Speak Up Assertive Communications Accelerator and our 2022 Life Checker Planners, which are available now for pre-order, head to bossedup.org. And you can learn more because this fall we're launching our final cohort of Speak Up in October. We have just a handful of spots left. That'll be the final cohort this year. And then our final cohort this year for Level Up, our six-month leadership and management accelerator, kicks off just one month later in November. And like I said, Life Tracker Planners are available now. So head to bossedup.org slash episode 349 for show notes and links to all of those great resources. And I feel so strongly about having 
guests like Tanya on the podcast lately, because the way that we learn, at least that I have been privy to so much learning and growth, has been by connecting with these compelling, fascinating, boundary-pushing women who are writing books. Whether or not you're into reading, audiobooks have made it so consumable for so many of us to just continue our learning and development. So even if you're never going to join us for a program or uh, any of our paid services at Boss Up, I appreciate you listening to this podcast. I appreciate you buying books, yes, locally, like Tanya said, and supporting the women authors we have on this podcast. And I want to hear what you're learning in your journey towards bossing up and continuing to learn and grow. So make sure to keep the conversation going with us in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook or on uh, social media. I'm at Emily Aries. I'd love to hear what you thought about today's conversation and how you're continuing to learn and grow together. Until next time, let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb. 